Hey, hey there, business owner. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Evolution Podcast. This is our weekly episode, and I'm so happy you are here. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. It's Annette Walter. I'm your host of the Entrepreneur Evolution Podcast. I am so happy you are here. I am an operational strategist and business growth coach, and I am owning and operating a business and growing it right alongside you. What fills my cup is making sure you, as an entrepreneur, feel surrounded and not alone on this journey. And that's why we interview on this podcast every Tuesday an entrepreneur like yourself who has started, has grown, sold, and is hustling out there just like yourself. Today's story is incredible, and I thought it'd be a great, great share, especially as we are in the week of Thanksgiving. It is... uh, a wonderful story about fresh ingredients and um, a beautifully gifted woman, Maggie Cook Garcia, who is a business success strategist, keynote speaker, author, and Nobel Prize winner. She's an immigrant who was born in an orphanage in Mexico, and she grew up with 68 siblings. She was recruited to play basketball for the Mexican national team, but shortly thereafter broke her collarbone. As she thought her dreams were over, she later immigrated to the U.S. on a basketball scholarship at the University of Charleston. After graduating, she became homeless. She entered a fresh salsa competition for the state of West Virginia and won unanimously and created a brand called Maggie's All Natural Fresh Salsa and Dip. She started the company with only $800. The company then grew as she hustled hard, and we're going to hear that story of of how she really turned things upside down to get the growth of the company going. And it became distributed throughout 38 states and all major supermarkets, including Walmart, Sam's Club, Whole Foods. Later in 2015, Maggie's sold to Campbell's Soup for $231 million. This is an incredible story. Make sure you check out the show notes. I have the Walmart video and all of the links to Maggie so you can learn more about her journey. Um, At the end, she asks that uh, if you have any opportunity to give, that you check out the Give New Life Orphanage of Heart Ministries, Inc. And the link is also in the show notes along with her book, Mindful Success. As always, I am here for you, entrepreneur. It gives me so much joy to help you on your journey. Make sure you reach out to me and schedule a brain dump, okay? This is a place where you need to just carve out some time to talk about your business, process what's on your mind, and I promise you after that phone call, you will feel like you are lighter and you have clarity. So join me and make sure you leave a review. The reviews mean so much to us. And I will have another tip for you on Friday. So make sure you hit subscribe so you can hear episodes as they automatically drop. Keep evolving, entrepreneur. I am so proud of you. Enjoy this episode with Maggie. Hi, Maggie. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. It is really nice to be here with you. We are joined by Maggie Cook today. She is the founder of Maggie Salsa, and she has an incredible story to share with us. And you are just the um, just the most amazing entrepreneur when you and I met years ago. Wow, when was that? What year was that? 2000, 
2013, perhaps? It's been a little while. <laughs> I think it was 2013, 2014. Yes. Uh -huh. You were really at a pivotal point in your career, uh, mm -hmm. just really getting through a lot. And uh, so, so you start, just lead the way, lead us through. Tell us a little bit about yourself and catch us up to speed. So, um, well, let me ask you first, because I have such a, a, a long story mm -hmm. and it's interesting, um, but I'd like to, um, if you want me to kind of, uh, you know, make it a little bit more compact that I can. Um, and, and you tell me, you just kind of guide me and tell me if this is the way that, you know, that we're, that, that it's good to go. You have, okay. you have a, a fabulous story. I would definitely, I, and I know it's extensive in all of the detail. I, I would do, I'd say the in-between version. How about that? Okay. I'll try <laughs> my best. I'll try my best. Because it's all so good. I don't know what you would leave out. Yes. Well, there's, there's a lot. And so if people have questions, they can always reach out to you or me. And so um, I'm a, an entrepreneur and I am from Mexico, from Michoacan. I was born in an orphanage there. I have 68 siblings, six, eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I grew up in a place in the middle of the mountains where it was, um, it was a hard life. We had a lot of poverty. We had a lot of, you know, a lot of times when we were would go without having food for long periods of time and we didn't have hardly any clothes or shoes and so it was really challenging and I never knew that I would be living a life that I have now here in the States uh, and it all came with opportunity and opportunity that presented itself that I just took it you know mm -hmm. um, I never thought that I would be a salsa manufacturer maker a business owner in that realm but I also, it was also an opportunity and I took it and I never knew that I'd be where I am today. But I, one thing that I do know that I was certain is that I was very aware of using my mind to transform my life and, and create something of myself. Even in the circumstances that I was in the orphanage, I, there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of uh, pain, fear, fear of death mm -hmm. um, and mental, physical abuse. And for me, it was my escape was using my mind to, to, to always believe that I was in another world, that I was always an adventurer or, you know, I, I dug my a cave in a canyon and I would go in there and, and, and be quiet and be sort of meditate, but I didn't know I was doing those sort of things back then. And right. I had my goals and I wrote my goals and I did all these things and I visualized myself as being a su successful person mm -hmm. with like high heels and a dress and, and a suit and behind a mahogany desk. And I, at that time, didn't know anything about, you know, other than that bar bar fence, you know, in, in that orphanage. Right. And so for me, having that mindset, that mentality of always believing that I could be something better, even though I was stuck for so many years in that place, that I was able to manifest everything that I ever wanted. And it was that focus of mind and also my character, which built from survival. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted a better life. I wanted to start stop experiencing poverty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, life just kind of unfolded. So I was in junior high and I was always thinking because we took or, um, classes in the orphanage up till sixth grade. Okay. And when I was in junior high, it's the first time I went to the city ever. And it was 
a time where I was always thinking, what can I figure out? What can I become talented at that I that would be like my ticket out of this place? And for some reason, basketball presented itself. And I'm five foot two. And um, I, it was new. So I decided to, to take on it. And, I, and it was just from watching Michael Jordan from my, wow. uh, the, the person, my, the principal at our school had a little black and white TV that was like this long. Wow, and I just asked them if I could start watching Michael Jordan play in my breaks, and so I watched his moves, how he moved, where you know how he did between the legs, behind the back, and uh-huh. and I just started practicing, and I got so good to the point that I was in the orphanage practicing with a blindfold, mm-hmm. and I had one of the kids that I was caring for, he had spinal bifida, he couldn't walk, so mm-hmm. he would tell me stop, turn, you know, and I would just so that I wouldn't fall and and like hit the 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 side concrete piece and so I would visualize people coming multitudes of people coming trying to steal so I became very very good at that and when I was in high school we won all the championships and I was recruited to play basketball for the Mexican national team in Mexico City at 5-2 and I went to Mexico City they really wanted me to play I still got their letter and I came back to the orphanage just being hopeful and then one day, you know, a lot of things happened in the orphanage where things were introduced and one of our care- caregivers introduced American football mm-hmm. and we started to play. And so one of my brothers threw a long pass. We learned how to throw it and mm-hmm. I ran and I caught it in the air. And then when I was in the air, I kind of turned my body and I hit the ground with my shoulder mm-hmm. and I got up and I thought that somebody like I had that feeling like somebody punched me in my gut because I, mm-hmm. I, I it hurt like that, but then I got up really easy and I was like, there's something really weird and wrong going on. So I went to my caregiver who was a doctor and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he stretched me back. He was really rough. Oh, and he said, and he, and I broke my collarbone oh. and, he, and he said to me, your dreams are over. Mm. And I was, I was, my fists were like this mm. by my sides and I, started to cry a little bit but I always believe that if something happens to you in life no matter what it is there's always something better Mm -hmm. and I just believe that I believe you know something happened there's there's got to be a reason for it you know there and everything that happens in my life even till this day there's always a reason why things happen you know maybe God the universe whatever you want to call it is taking you another direction and so it was it, it really hit me hard three days later when the national team called me and I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And so four or five months later, my, my caregivers took us in a bus to the United States to tour the U.S. Okay. And to raise funds for the orphanage. And they uh, happened to stop in West Virginia. They invited us to a picnic. And there was a basketball court outside. And my brothers and I started to play. And there happened to be the coach of the University of Charleston, and she saw me play. Hmm. And she told my caregiver, I want her to come play for me on a scholarship. Wow. But the thing is, you know, if I would have listened to the advice of the doctor, right. your dreams are over, I could have easily just sat down that day and not played. Right. And <clears throat> but because I didn't, then this happened and it was an opportunity and then before you know it i was in the u.s going to college and i didn't know any english (laughs) right so that's the next kind of chapter to transition through 
Let me ask you this. I mean, innately, this type of um, optimism and the practice of manifesting, you know, you were manifesting before manifesting was even a, a, a thing. Like it seems like it's just, it's, it's a real thing. I, I truly, truly believe that. Mm-hmm. How, where do you do? Where do you think that that courage, that that self talk came from? Like, it was it just innately born in you? You know, I I don't really know how to answer. I mean, I'm being very honest because I've had a lot of people come to my life and say, "Oh my gosh," because they know me, they know my story, and they're like, mm-hmm. "You could have. Why aren't you like in jail or dead or in prostitution or in drugs or something?" Right. Right? The truth, is, yeah. The truth is that a lot of the people that I grew up with ended up that way. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think what happened was that I was so focused on not suffering mm-hmm. that I was willing to do whatever it took, even if I didn't have anything in front of me. At least used my thinking to to feel and 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 pretend that I was in a better place where I wasn't, but I could escape. I could go to my cave or I could go to the mountains. And I think it was born out of the need of survival and out of um, ending my own suffering and then realizing that maybe someday in the future I could help other people with with my journey to, to be able to help theirs. Well, and your compassion always comes through, Maggie, whenever we, we talk. And you know, I want to go back to when you pictured yourself in high heels and in a dress and behind the mahogany. Where did you see that? Like, where did you, like, and, and even the Michael Jor- Jordan, like the uh-huh. visuals, like I'm a visual person too. Like, I love uh-huh. that that's what was in your head. Uh-huh. When, did, when do you remember seeing that? I love that question because nobody's ever asked me that, <laughs> but it's great. Um, when When I was in the orphanage, we only had three movies that we watched over and over and over again, most of my life. And one of those movies I think was Old Yeller and then two other ones. And I saw something of a successful woman, Mm. the way that she looked, the way that she dressed and the the success and the authority and the Mm -hmm. prosperity Mm -hmm. in that. And so I, it was a picture that I had in my mind that I just kept there. And it was something to look, forward to, even though I was there for many years. Right. Right. Mm. So I love that. I love that. An old yeller, that's a tough one to watch on uh, again and again, again, again. <laughs> um, so back to the story here, how did you learn English while you were in Charleston? So when I came to Charleston school at the university hadn't started yet. And so they thought that in order for me to learn English quickly, they would put me through an English learning school in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I took their classes and they failed me. <laughs> they said, you, you can't go to college. I don't know how, but I passed the TOEFL. I think the TOEFL back then was the exam to know enough English to get into college. Okay. And I passed it somehow, barely passed it. And, but it was so tough because I spent years locked in a basement of my host family right. that, that had me there. And I was just watching TV, a lot of TV consuming how to speak the language. Right. I remember my mouth would get sore because in English, we use a lot of the back of yes. the tongue. Yes. In Spanish, we use the front of it. Yes. And I became 
very good because there was no, nobody else that spoke Spanish in the, at the university at that time. And then I love that the school was smaller, private school, because I was able to do one-on-one with, on one with my teachers after almost every, every class. Mm. And so that was a blessing. And so that yeah. was the way, it, but it was so hard to learn another language. Oh, really? um, and I was playing sports and I was, you know, it was really tough, but, uh, but I'm glad that I went through that because my English now is more, more, it's better than my siblings English. They ended up moving yeah. to like South, like Florida, the States, you know, down here. Mm-hmm. And so they had a lot of Latin people influence. So their, their English is a lot more broken than mine. So it's, it was a blessing. It was hard. It was a blessing, blessing, but it was also the initiative that you took. Yes. You carved out that extra time to, to, to take that time to ask for help, to meet with the teachers one-to-one, to mm-hmm. absorb, you know, you are never afraid of pain mm-hmm. and never afraid to endure pain to get to the next thing that you want to. And that's mm-hmm. just, that's so admirable. But, but it was, you know, also the culture, mm-hmm. Mexican culture and American culture. Mm-hmm. Two different ball games. Mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed. Um, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but the culture of American culture is more close up. Like mm-hmm. in, in Mexico, you don't have a lot of eye contact and you're further behind, away. Right. So it was very intimidating. It was a challenge to come out of that shelf. And it took me two, year, two years to come out of that shelf. Right. It's not only the language barrier, but it's the whole sociological kind of mm-hmm. items yes. around it, right? Mm-hmm. So college, basketball, what year are we, what we, what, let's do a timeline check here. Where are we? So, so I think it was uh, 1999, I think when I okay. went to college, I think I was 17 or 18, going okay. on 18. Okay. And then I went to college um, and I played sports. I, I played basketball on the scholarship. Then I got a scholarship for soccer. Then I got a scholarship for rowing crew. Then I got a scholarship for running track. And then at the point, and then I, at some point, I said I can't do track because I'm just you know trying to study and uh-huh. you know become a you know. And so I think I still had a 3.8 GPA. Amazing. And, but it, you know there was so much, and um, and it was also paying for my education. Mm-hmm. Luckily, because it was expensive, I was able to, with those scholarships. Right, was able to pay pay for my way. Right, which was a blessing for the people in the orphanage. Absolutely. To, mm-hmm. So, talk to us about um, how how Maggie's salsa starts to unfold post mm-hmm. post college. So, when I was in college, I started to make this fresh salsa. I was like a pico de gallo salsa, mm-hmm. and um, I started making this for my friends and they loved it so much that they had me make it every day almost. And then my teachers heard about it and then my teacher started having me bring it to class. So it became very popular in the dorms. <laughs> and uh, when I graduated college, I graduated with a degree in interior design. And being in West Virginia at that time, there was only two firms, interior design firms. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a job. Mm. And so I tried to get hired. I went, you know, seeking for jobs and couldn't get hired. So I uh, became homeless. I was living out of my station wagon. I had a white station wagon. And I, this was during the winter months when I, you know, and, and I, w- I remember I would turn the heat of the car 
into high heat it was so cold and then when i was really hot i would turn it i would wake up and i would turn it off and that was the but it was really nice because the station wagon had a you could pull the whole seats and you had the whole bed you know yes so <laughs> i wish they what, still make cars like that <laughs> no but what happened during that time is that it was west virginia is very hilly especially in charleston there's a lot of hills and i was going up a hill one day in my and i was sleeping in lots like i would park in parking lots Mm-hmm. And then my engine exploded, mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about a t- taking care of a car back then. Um, and so my engine exploded going up this hill. There was flames on it and everything, and I didn't know any better, so I just left the car there and I picked up my bags and wow. just started to walk. And so I was a couple more months on, on the streets, and I I would mm-hmm. sleep in the woods, but I didn't know back then that I was homeless because I lived in the woods in Mexico. Right. You know? I remember you telling me a story of jumping out of a tree and <laughs> jumping on an animal and making shoes out of it. Like that's one yeah. of the stories that you and I talked about when we were in New Orleans. Uh-huh. Yes. So you can survive. You, you, you've got the woods down, it sounds like. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, we, when we didn't have food, I mean, imagine not having food. You had plenty of water because there were streams everywhere. Uh-huh. Not having food for two or three weeks. Mm. I mean, you couldn't even think straight to go, to go to school and try to make the grades and all that. So mm-hmm. my brothers and I became hunters and we would right. hunt at nights w- with uh, spotlights mm-hmm. and we would um, throw these nets and catch our prey and open up the animal and clean it in the river and eat it there. Right. And so that's how we, you survived. know, survived. Survived. Mm-hmm. You are a survivor. Mm-hmm. Smart survivor. Okay, so no more station wagon. No more station wagon. I was in the street, and uh, so one day, one of the people that were one of the cooks at the university, she um, was walking by a street in Charleston, and she saw me, and I was just sitting there. I wasn't sleeping on the street, but I had my bags, and she's like, what are you doing? Hmm. What the heck are you doing? Like, she used other words. Right, of course. And, uh, and I told her my situation, and, and she couldn't believe it, and she got me a place to stay. So I ended up staying, in the, and they opened up the dorms for me when no students were there. Mm-hmm. I stayed there for a couple months, but what happened was that during that time, there was, I had no idea this was going on, but there was a salsa contest for the state of West Virginia happening in Charleston. And so my friends that, that, that I made the product for when I was in college signed me up amazing and uh, they signed me up and I remember going to the market and looking at that and I'm like no I don't know but but I did it and I remember there was a lot of contestants all the products were cooked products like in a jar mm-hmm. mine was fresh fresh pico de gallo like you take the tomato you cut it up onion cilantro jalapenos everything fresh best so I won the thing by unanimous vote and I remember there was this salsa music and balloons and sombreros and all this stuff. Oh, and people, people were asking me, oh, my gosh, where do you sell this? Where can we buy it? And I was like, it's, I, I, that's another world. Like, I have no idea. I, I, right. You're like, well, actually, from... you can have me over and I'll spend the night. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and actually, some people did that. Right. You come to my house for the Super Bowl and, right. you know. <laughs> you know, and 
And so I said, no, I don't have any money. I, I just came out of a really tough situation. And the whole time I was talking on that table, I don't know if you've ever felt this. I'm sure you have. And you listeners too, when mm-hmm. you're speaking in a crowd of people and somebody's looking at you, mm-hmm. like, and you can feel that energy of somebody yeah. looking at you. Yeah. And so I, and this was this guy with a suit and he was just standing there looking at me. And when everything died down, he came over mm-hmm. my table and he said, um, I see that you have a fire in you mm. and I would love to do something for you with one condition. And he said, as long as someday you pay it for it. And I was like, oh. what is happening? <laughs> right. Is this for and, real? Right? <laughs> yes. And uh, he took his wallet and he gave me 800 bucks. Mm. And that's how I started my business with 800 bucks. $800 from a stranger. Yes. Have you connected with him? No, he didn't. It was so uh, surreal and unusual that I didn't even, I, I, he may have said his name, but I right. was, he was like. He was literally that guardian angel in the moment that just, yes. was, you need to go do this. And this is what, go, go for it. He definitely was that, yeah. that guardian angel. And uh, I never have ever heard from him, but I've kept my, kept my promise because I've helped others <sighs> oh, you start have. their business. You certainly Enough. have. You have not disappointed that amazing man. Yeah. Okay. So all of our listeners are business owners, entrepreneurs out there. What do you do with $800 to start a business? So, what do you do? Uh-huh. But the very first thing I bought, and I will tell you that it was the best uh, well-spent $800 I've ever spent. And I bought my a little food processor. Okay. tiny food processor and um did you go for like and, the top grade one or did no you go like just you know basic like get me by kind of thing i wanted to make sure that i could buy everything that i needed tomatoes okay. produce cost of goods in my containers yeah and then i had a little i bought label paper and i would cut my i would print my labels i designed uh-huh. my labels and i would cut them and put them on the containers uh-huh. and i would sell each container for five bucks to my friends and i remember i i had a really thick thing of one dollar and five dollar bills and I would just like like woohoo I'm a millionaire you know yeah. like I would take that but I would make the batches in one gallon batches and sell it and reinvest 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 and then it started to grow but I think that the first thing that put me on the map was the salsa competition because the newspapers were there and everything. So that was the first marketing piece for me. Uh-huh. And then uh I was able to get in one or two different mom and pop stores in town. Okay, so it's that market. business to consumer and then also business to business right away. Right, right. Okay. And, and just because of how good it was and they tried it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it, was, it was tough. The key was having people try the product. I had a niche product. I had a disruptive product. Mm-hmm. It wasn't there, you know, there back then. And so... I remember I made a long list of stores to call and it was long mm-hmm. and, I, and I, the way that I categorized it was from the smallest supermarket to the largest. Okay. And I started doing something that was really scary. And that is for the first time in my life, picking up that phone and making that call. Yeah. Hey, my name is Maria Magdalena de la Cruzco Garcia. I have an awesome pico de gallo de salsa. I think you guys would love it. What? Right. What is that? Did you just say that was your name? That was your whole name? Yes. <laughs> that was my name. They're like, no. Right. We're not interested. Click. Click. And 
I couldn't, it was so hard to deal with rejection. And it was so scary to pick up that phone mm-hmm. and make those calls. But I pushed myself and it was one after the other, after the other. I had the list. I had 90 hard no's. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, uh, I could have easily given up. 90 hard no's. Yes. I could have easily given up. And so what happened next was I put the list down. I didn't give up on it. I put the list down for that day. Mm-hmm. And I decided, you know, what's another approach that I can take. And I knew of companies that were local that made ready to eat products like salsa would be a ready to eat product, which means it's in a container. People can open it and start immediately eating it. Mm-hmm. And they had salads and stuff like that. And I called them and I said, Hey, my name is Maggie, and I have this product. How did you get into the stores? They're like, one of them made um, cold slaw and all kinds of stuff. And she mm-hmm. told me, she was the owner. She says, they're not going to listen to you. You're nobody. She mm-hmm. was right. And mm-hmm. she said, it took us five years to get into this one supermarket, one product. Right. And so, and then the other thing was I had friends that were telling me that I should get a real job, that I should quit. Of course, right? Uh, especially the one that caught me when I was going, I'm a millionaire, and she opened right. the door. <laughs> right. And, and, and sometimes it's the ones that are closest to you, right? Yes. And that could be, that is harsh. And, and, and for somebody that you love and trust and they're around you and to tell you that, I'm like, you begin to doubt yourself. Maybe they're right. Mm-hmm. But I didn't give up. And so the next best thing that I could think I said, go big and go home, right? <laughs> so I took that list and I turned it upside down. Okay. Look, I got chills. I don't know if you can see it. I'm getting chills it? right now. I'm almost tearing up. I know. So, <laughs> I just love this. So I took the, the list and the one supermarket that I put at the very bottom, which now was my top, was right. the Whole Foods Market, which is the largest organic retail in the United States. Whole Foods. Whole Foods. And I called them and I said, hey, my name is Maria Mandana Cruz Garcia. You know, the same thing. I have an awesome pico de gallo de salsa and I think you guys would love it. And I left a message and I went about my day and I just did one call, just one call. Mm. And I remember I was sitting at, at the city center in Charleston and, I, and my little car at the curbside. I can't remember why I was there for, but I got a call the following day at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. The guy says, hi, this is Eric. Is this Maggie? And I said, yes. Is Eric here with Whole Foods? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> again. I know. And, um, and he said, um, we heard about you. We want to know more. When can you come? And the reason why he said we heard, I think, is because I created my own website. So I did everything initially because I didn't have any money. Right. So I learned how to do all these things. Right. And so... They said, when can you come? And I said, when do you guys meet the next time? And he said, tomorrow at 9 a.m. So I'm in Charleston and they're in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And it's about a six to eight hour drive, depending on what kind of car you're driving. Right. And, <laughs> and I, had a, I had a little beer. <laughs> right. And, and so I said, I'll be there. I'll be there. And I went back to the kitchen. I made salsa. I was up all night. Mm. I drove all night to get there. And I walked in, and this is the main distribution center in Maryland that distributes to all the Whole Foods in, in a certain region. We have a lot of Maryland listeners. So what was the... Oh, awesome. 
I'm sorry? What city was it? Do you remember? Uh, it was a distribution center in, what was it? Gosh, it's been so many years. Um, it yeah. was the, the main distribution center in, in, Maryland. in um, Maryland. I have to look that up. I'm just curious. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it now, too. I, I feel bad that I can't remember that. Uh, but it was the Mid-Atlantic okay. region. Okay. And there's just one. Yeah. For the whole Mid-Atlantic. So, um, so I walk in with my boxes and my little high heels and my dress. And Do you have coolers? Like, because it's refrigerated, right? Well, I had, I, I bought a cooler that I could plug into my car and the cigarette lighter. Okay. So I took the product there and, and, um, and then I put it back in the boxes when I, so they look more professional with my labels and everything. Yes. And so I was walking into this room and it was this huge room and there was a huge U table and I was sitting in the middle and there was all these men. Are you in high heels at this point? I'm in high heels. Okay, great. <laughs> and Love and it. so I, I walked made it to the boardroom. Yes, I was in the boardroom, definitely. Absolutely. And so there's all all these men were these buyers that tested mm -hmm. tasted the product and, and made sure that there it was a product that they were interested in taking to the next level. Are you taking chips or like cucumbers? I took or yeah, I took yeah. bags of chips. Yes, okay. not my chips, just like Tostitos chips or something. Right, okay, okay. Um, yes, and so um, I put the products down and I opened some of the containers and they started to try it and they were just, mm -hmm. the one amazing thing that I think I, I, I did that, was, that sold it immediately was I took uh, Chilean, uh, Chilean sea bass, that fish, oh. it's so soft, buttery. Yes. Okay. They had a grill. And I grilled and I put mango salsa and salsa on top of it. And that's how I served it. Oh. Not only did they try the, the salsa by itself, but they also tried it in a product that like a customer would try. Yes. And it just that was sold really it. Smart. It sold it. Really and smart. they, Eric gets up and he says, when can we have this product? And, and I said, well, first question in my mind was, how much do you need? And he at that time, I was making about 250 pounds of salsa a week wow. and selling it. And um, he said, well, your first order would be 10,000 pounds of salsa. <laughs> and so I was really taken back by that. And, and my next statement was, let me go back home and try to figure out what I need to do to make this happen. And that was the, that was the, the end of the day. Um, the key here that I want to say is that I was making about $12,000 a year in just that single supermarket uh, contract order that I had took me from $12,000 to $2.9 million. 2.9. Okay. Just because I turned the list around, just because I didn't quit. Yes. Just because I went big or go home, right? Absolutely. And sometimes, and I felt like quitting so many times. Oh, Yes. I really did feel like giving up because it was so hard. I didn't, I was new. I didn't know anything about any, I didn't have, when I went to college, I only took one business class, business one-on-one and that's it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's like business isn't textbook, you know, it's not business mm -hmm. in a box. And I know yes. you do a lot of coaching too. And like, I always am trying to just talk about that as like, it is real life, sleepless nights, doubt, mm -hmm. fear, all mm -hmm. of the above. And you don't know until you go through it. Right. Absolutely. So did you, did, when you answered that, let me go home and think about it. Did you leave? And did you like, were you good with your answer? Like, how did you feel like the car ride back 
No, no, I, I said yes. But oh, you did say yes. yes. You said yes. I'll oh, figure yes. it out. Okay, got, oh, it, got yes. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. There's so, no doubt. Like I didn't want to leave any doubt. I, I okay. said yes. So let me figure yes out. Right what. Okay. I, yes. I didn't know if you said let me go home and figure it out. I was like, oh gosh. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Great. That was, that was an opportunity I was not willing to pass. So 250 pounds to 10,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. How? How? Okay. So the biggest, the first biggest challenge I had was banks won't loan me any money because I didn't have nothing to show for. Let's talk about this because this is a huge challenge for our listeners. Yes. Yes. So the, the fact that I didn't have any money and I needed exactly, almost exactly $20,000 to buy cost of goods, mm-hmm. meaning everything that goes in a container, including the label, the container, everything in order to sell that, to make 10,000 pounds of salsa. Yeah. Working. Cash. And I couldn't figure out how, cause I couldn't get money. So mm-hmm. I had this idea and I was like I wonder if they do contracts so I reached out to Whole Foods and I said could could you sign a contract with me it's the only way that I can supply the stuff for you and they said yes the contract showed that I would deliver 10,000 pounds of salsa every week and they would pay me every week mm-hmm. so I took this contract to friends that I knew that I knew that could help me and I said look I need 20 grand for cost of goods can you help me I'll give you back the money in a week and they said, yes. You had good terms on that one. Good job. Yes. So I went back home and I bought everything that I needed. It was so meticulous because I didn't want to, I want to make sure that I made money so that I could reinvest it. Yes. And um, the first week, Whole Foods paid me $40,000. So I gave back the $20,000 to me. For, that was the beginning of something That's brand new. Right. You knew that it could work. Right. Yeah. It was, it was scale. It was, it was scaling to a a place where I've never been before. So it came with a lot of other challenges that I had to figure out, including, for example, how to, where to get wholesale products, how to get wholesale products, how to price, how to compete for those prices, how to hire team members, how to do all these things. And I had to figure all these out, all these things out in one week. Right. So. I had some trials, but I had a lot of amazing things that happened. And I have stories that I talk about when I speak in stages and uh, with, you know, how I went about getting team members and things like that. But um, another big challenge was getting a truck to deliver this product. This, this is a big truck, refrigerated truck. So I, I got my truck driver's license. And um, I remember I was looking, I had one person that was helping me and I was able to hire more people before I had one person helping me. And so we made, it took us a whole week to make our first 10,000 pounds of salsa. And it was a lot of work. And I was looking the entire week for a truck and I couldn't find one. And I finally found a truck. Uh, It was in this rundown place and the guy rented uh, to me for $350. Okay. And, but it was the oldest, ugliest, worse than a Mexican truck I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Like, seriously, there's wires sticking out of the dashboard. Oh, wow. You know where the uh, radio. radio is? Uh-huh. And the seat wouldn't adjust. It was squeaky. Mm. And it was a standard. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see the numbers. So oh, I wow. had to, like, yes. clutch and everything. I had to play with it even before I left the parking lot. Oh, wow. And so the ride from that place to the kitchen that I was renting to make the products was flat ground. So I was good. And I felt, yeah, I can do this. I can drive this big 
conqueror down to Michigan, uh, Maryland. So the next day, it was either the next day or the following day. Did we you loaded have a co-pilot, I hope? Did you have somebody with you? No, it was just me. Oh my goodness. It was just me. And so I remember that this truck was loaded from front to back, top, uh, bottom to top. Wow. Like, to close it, exactly 10,000 pounds of salsa in there. Oh my and uh, it was refrigerated because the product is fresh. Mm-hmm. And I remember leaving the kitchen so happy and elated with this big truck that I could barely get going because the difference with an empty truck and a full truck like that with 10,000 pounds was so big. Wow. So big. And so I get on the road and, and I come to this traffic light and it's the first tra- traffic light and I'm like this in a hill. Oh, oh gosh. And I realized that I'm so short that now my butt is to the back of the seat and I can reach, can't reach the pedals. Or see, probably, right? Right. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> there's these cars behind me. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I, I got in so much agony and I was sweating very quickly. Yes, that's like and such I, a, a, that's a, that's a stressful moment. It, it was so stressful. You have no idea. And I was thinking, I'm going to hit the car behind me. And then I was thinking people are going to laugh because I'm, you know, but they couldn't see me. So I was like, you know, that's, you know, and so the light turned green and I was pulling myself with one hand, the wheel up and one with the stick shift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said it right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the clutch and the brake and the accelerator, everything. And so the truck was jerking so bad. And it, it was forever. It seemed like an eternity. <laughs> and did it and go? I finally got oh. this truck up. And so I got it up and I parked it to the side of the road to compose myself because right. I was having panic. Right. And, um, and I said, okay, if I continue from now on, there's a lot more hills. What am I going to do? I can't qu- I was actually um, smiling because I knew that I made it that far, even past that traffic light. I had a truck full of salsa. I was going to Maryland and, um, and I pulled to the side of the road and I said, what can I do? What can I do? What, what? And I just closed my eyes for a moment and I looked ahead on the road and I saw a piece of wood block. And I remember that the right mirror was falling off. So I bought duct tape to tape it up. So I ran to the truck and I grabbed that duct tape and I duct tape my, the piece of wood block on my foot and I could reach the accelerator because the clutch was higher than the accelerator. So that's how I rode to, to Maryland. My goodness. The whole way. And that's, that's how I made it. But the funny part was that, <sighs> that during that trip, I noticed that the, I spent a lot of money in gas on that big truck because it had a leak on the gas tank. Oh boy. And so I had to stop a lot where the truckers were and I had to get down with my piece of wood block. <laughs> and they were, they were looking at me so funny. But at some point, I just owned it. And uh, I remember I got to the distribution center, backed up the truck, and I could feel them with their Ford trucks unloading my product. And I was just, my arms were in the air saying, victory, victory, I made it, I made it. And that was was the very first delivery that I had with Whole Foods. And really, the rest was history there for me. Because what happened was that all the supermarkets that said no, now I was in Whole Foods. Right. Now they were calling me. Right. Oh my gosh, you know, uh, can you come in? Can you have us taste this product? Now all the people that said no were, were begging me to, to come, you know, taste Absolutely. my products. 
Absolutely. And that really opened the whole sea of possibilities for me because mm -hmm. I, I never spent a penny in marketing. It was all, you know, by the status of it, of yeah. where I was and people trying it. They, when they yes. got hooked, it was just Product something that itself. Right, took on. So, okay. Did you ever drive any more deliveries after that? Oh, yes. Okay. I drove many, many deliveries um, because I didn't know, I didn't even know how to really go about hiring a truck driver. Right. Um, but later on, we did have a fleet and I did hire uh, truck drivers to take the products all the way to the north and down to Florida from West Virginia to the, and as our technology improved also, because at first, uh, when I was inspected by the FDA and the Department of Agriculture, they said that my products wouldn't make it because they had a 15-day shelf life. By the time they got to the distribution centers, it would take, you know, five days to sell it. And right. so with technology like MAP, MAP Modified Atmosphere Packaging and uh, HPP, Hydrostatic High, press, um, high, high Pressure Processing, right. you could extend the shelf life of the products without any preservatives or anything bad. It was just a technology that I was able to go even further. But that was down the line. That's how really the company grew to, right. to the next level. Right. So Maggie's becomes a company that is sold to Campbell's in 2015 for $261 million. And, sorry, $231 yes. million dollars mm -hmm. off a couple. Yes. Getting into Walmart was a big, big deal for you. And we, I know we have a lot of listeners and a lot of food and beverage entrepreneurs in there. Um, and a lot of people who are looking to get in, into Walmart. So what advice would you give? And what did you learn through that experience that you would give to other entrepreneurs out there? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing that I want to say is I didn't reach out to Walmart. They reached out to me. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I did a process of meditation for manifestation that I actually teach that has manifested everything that I've ever wanted. And so I did that in my business partner. She, she was a realist. Uh -huh. She didn't okay. believe in that stuff until they called me and said, Hey, you want to sell to Walmart? She's like, it's a prank. Hang up. I'm like, wait a minute. I, 28 days. I've been asking for the largest supermarket in the world to reach out to me. Wow. And so that's really how it happened. And the first thing that I will say about Walmart is that I had a lot of people come to me and tell me, better watch out. Don't do business with them because they'll take advantage of you. They always take the person and step on them and right. try to lower their prices. It was right. I'm sure you've heard that a lot, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But one, one of the things that I learned in my experiences in growing up in the orphanage in Mexico and throughout like my school years there was that people would come to me and say, you're going to hate this teacher. He's terrible. He, he, all these things. And I decided to make a decision to not judge anything or anyone unless I had that experience. Right. My experience was totally different. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I, I believe it's person to person. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that Walmart asked me is, how can we make sure that we price, that you're selling your, your products to us, that you're making the most money? And mm -hmm. two, how can we make sure that you don't spread out yourself so thin that you can't actually distribute to where we want you to be? And right. I was like, mm. that's totally the opposite than what I heard. But I didn't say that. I just like, okay, let's work on this. Right. And so my margins with the, my highest product margins were in Whole Foods and also Walmart because Walmart marked up my products very little, even though they were cheaper, they marked them up very little. Mm -hmm. And I have products in the produce section. I also had products in the dairy section, Mexican section, because I have a, a white queso, a Mexican queso dip. 
and also the fresh salsas. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a wonderful experience with them. Systems tremendously uh, complicated and way high, high status, their systems. Uh, but a, a really good thing that helped me with Walmart was being a woman and minority owned, owned uh, certified. Uh, so if you are a woman uh, minority uh, owned business, if you if you own more than 51%, that is really great for you. At that time, Walmart was making, um, was advertising, they, they had $4 billion uh, allocated for women minority entrepreneurs to try to bring their products into the stores who were more in the healthy or part of it. And without that, I probably, that was probably one of the reasons that they called me. And so they, and as a matter of fact, they made a movie of my story and they put it all. I'm going to drop that in the, in the show notes because I really love that uh, clip or the Mm -hmm. video. It's really good. They've really been a leader um, for a long time in the diversity inclusion and they do, they, they, they follow it through. They live and breathe it. Yes, absolutely. So what's life like now? So life is, you know, aside from the challenges with COVID-19, you know, it's, it's, I know it's been challenging for a lot of people in the food business, but also, you know, for, for many other industries. I mean, I, I was speaking in stages nationwide and abroad right. and I got everything canceled, mm-hmm. you know? So every, every time something like this happens as a business entrepreneur, especially one who's trying to make it, you have to find figure out ways to pivot, to survive. And so um, one of the things, uh, the the change that I made to my business is obviously I do virtual speaking, but it's not the same because you can't connect the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the one thing that I do is I started doing online programs and, and I'm able to, to have, you know, the reach also and, and approach it, approach what I'm trying to do differently and, and help people in a different way, not just from the stage. And it's something that I've never really thought about doing before. Right. And now it's become a huge opportunity and it's allowed me to help more people. That's amazing. I'm very, very fortunate for that. When you were doing the, the in-person public speaking, is it ever like really hard to, to retell your story and all the emotions that go along with it? I know you, you really speak from a place of gratitude is there any of that element of just sadness or just anything that erupts and, and kind of just gets you? Well, you know, one of the things that I'm, that I am very big on is vulnerability mm-hmm. because I believe that being vulnerable, um, you create a greater connection with your audience. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I ask, even before I speak at any platform, I ask, what is the biggest problem you're trying to solve mm-hmm. and what do they need to hear? What do you think they need to hear? And based on that, I will, my talk is never the same. I will, I will do the talk around that. Right. Um, And then one of the things that I love about live or even now Q and A's, you know, with virtual events is that I will um, make sure that we have that available because the way that I tell my story could jump really drastically. People are like, well, how did you from here to there, you know? And so I will let them know that. And I'm here to, answer your questions and to go into more detail of the things that you really didn't you know that you're wondering about so but a lot of it is more about business or things and sometimes people are just amazed about the story and they'll ask things like you know my father told me that I would never amount to anything that I would die in prison and with AIDS you know Uh because I came I came out to him and so one of the 
last talk that I had was like one of the CEOs of that big insurance company, huge national, international. He said, um, hey, did your father ever reach out to you and tell you I'm proud of you? And I was like, oh my God. I bawled on stage and I had the entire crowd ball like crying. Oh. Ah. Um, and I said, yes. I said, he never acknowledged my success. Mm. Um, but he did a week before he died. Wow. And he wrote me a letter and, and I still have it. He says, I'm so proud of you. You're like from the old school and the mm. people that are labor hard to, to succeed. And, and he said, I'm just so proud of you and all, and all these things. And I'm telling this I actually pulled up the, the letter because I have it in my phone somewhere and I have it special safe somewhere and I was just bawling and all these CEOs and all these people were just crying with me and I'm on stage and 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 that's the only time that he ever acknowledged my success and uh, I I really I really wanted that because all throughout growing up in the orphanage I did things to the max and to try to get like for him to acknowledge that I was there Mm-hmm. The reason why he never acknowledged my success in the orphanage, like he would send all me and my brothers to cut trees or dig ditches. And I would be like the, the fastest, the bestest. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of their kids. Mm-hmm. So I heard him talk with my mother um, saying that they would never pay attention to us like our, like the real kids because they were afraid that the other kids would... Um, um, feel bad that they're not getting attention or something like that. Right. So we were, we suffered more mm-hmm. and we talk about my, I have eight siblings and we're mm-hmm. so close and we talk about those things and actually how that helped our bond even now. Absolutely. Um, so him not acknowledging that until the moment, the one week before he passed, that was just huge. And that was one thing that I got to share that I've never shared on stage. Wow. And, uh, and so vulnerability is so important to connecting with people. And to, you know, and, and so I love that. And I love talking about things that how to solve their problems in an organization or as an entrepreneur, you know, what, what are the things that I lived that I've experienced that I've gone through that could maybe be a seed to to thinking something, a new opportunity for you to uh, begin a breakthrough to, to go to the next level. And so that's what I love about that. Well, you've endured so much, but it's been powered by like you said, your, your labor and you manifesting. I mean, you were a disruptor before being a disruptor was a thing. You were manifesting before manifesting was a thing. And I just think it's so wonderful to hear your story and to share your story. And, you know, I, I see you and I, I know you're just getting started. I know that you are you're going to make a more, even more amazing things happen. And it's just, I just, I just really adore you. And every time we talk, I just am always moved. So thank you. Thank you. Do you get to take off your armor a lot? Well, I never take it off when I, before I go to sleep, I always put it on. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you said, you asked one question before this question and was, um, when I speak on stage, I've learned to not bring the past off up to a point that it makes me, it takes me back to the survival mode that I was okay. in. Okay. Okay. And so I've learned to channel that and still express 
I've told my story so many times, but I love telling it because I know that if I was a new listener, you know, what would they be listening to? Right. Yes. And so I, but I learned to, I can go through those emotions, but I'm, I I have to remind myself, I'm no longer living there. I'm not no no longer being chased by the cheetah, you know? Right. Uh, Armor. Right. You're protecting yourself. Right. And so I'm very, very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes events used to completely drain me. I had to sleep for a day or two. Oh, I can only imagine. But I not anymore. Constantly. Okay. But not anymore. Good. Because I recognize that and I know that I can go there, but I'm not living there anymore. And sometimes our mind can't distinguish between the real or the imagined thing mm-hmm. because right. it, it's, it can be so deceiving. I mean, it seems like just like yesterday when I was there, that, that all that stuff happened to me, right? But I'm no longer living there. Mm-hmm. So I have to remind myself of that. Well, and plus, not only that, the emotional journey of it, but th- what was pre-COVID, the travel, the prep, mm-hmm. the behind the scenes, like what it goes into. I think a lot of people dream of the keynote speaker, right? Or they did pre-COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And just how much really goes into it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're a natural you're a natural and um, I'm glad that it came to the point where it was common practice for you because it, and it didn't exhaust you as much because mm-hmm. you're so good at it. And I hope mm-hmm. that when we are through this and, um, and we're, we're going to get through this, you know, it's going to be, you will get that, that, that platform to shine mm-hmm. even brighter than you're shining right now, which is so great. You want to know a secret? Yes. I am the biggest introvert <laughs> you've ever met. I feel like. But when I'm on stage or when I'm speaking, like I'm speaking to you, yeah. I feel like the world deserves. No. Absolutely. So I have to become something else. I have to become the giver of a gift of a message. Mm-hmm. But I'm, if you ask my husband, if you ask my family, I know I'm the biggest introvert. I'll probably cuddle back in my bedroom with a wine after this. Right, right. I feel like we all feel like that. Like you're the omnivert, right? The omnivert. Yes. But more so introvert than than extrovert, you know? And I, I, I love that quiet side of you. I love that, you know, that, um, that's part of who you are, Mm -hmm. you know? So how can we help? you how can we support you how can we do whatever it is that you need right now what's your big ask to the universe that you even want to put out there right now so when i sold my company uh, with garden fresh to campbell's i went back to mexico and i helped rescue 31 orphan children from a drug cartel from uh, for sex trafficking wow and uh we are continuously doing that and if uh, people want to support that cause, it's still going on. It's uh, gogivenewlife.com. I think that, I'm not sure if, uh, it, I think they were having trouble with their website, but Heart Ministries, um, if they look them up, they can, um, they don't have a nonprofit in the U.S., but they get the funds through them okay. as a nonprofit to, to help them. I think that would be the, the biggest, you know, if, if you want to help uh, change the world in, in a smaller way that, eventually ends up becoming a big ref- ripple effect because if you think about it, I was one of those kids mm-hmm. and I was able to, because somebody donated, 
you know, somebody gave back because when I was growing up in the orphanage, our caregivers wouldn't get any money from the government, from any, it, it all came from the United States. Wow. So somebody gave and I grew up on that. Mm. And now I'm doing, you know, we're doing the same and helping all these children give them opportunity. Mm. It's amazing. And we'll definitely link that below in the show notes. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to say? No, you know, other than, um, you know, if you're a food entrepreneur or an entrepreneur and need help, um, you know, you can reach me. I have a website. You can see it, I think, in my Zoom right there, maggiecook.com, Maggie with one G, or meetmaggie.com um, if you want to just get more inspiration. I know that Annette's been very grateful for with her time here and trying to inspire and just make a difference. Um, but that's, that's what I do now. It's just I help, you know, organizations and entrepreneurs grow. And with the experience and knowledge that I have now, which has been a huge blessing and continues to be. Absolutely. So let's leave here, Maggie, with your, your best business advice, your universally best business advice. How about that? <laughs> I love that. So what I would say my best business advice is to make sure, absolutely certain, that you know why you're doing what you're doing. To really understand why it is that you're living, what is your purpose. If you know that, and you have clarity with that, you will be fulfilled. You will always be in a journey and a path of, of fulfillment because you know that you're working towards that greater purpose that fulfills you in this time. Mm -hmm. And knowing that or rediscovering that is the greatest gift that you can give yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. Thank you for being here. Thank, Thank you, you for, for being me. here. Thank you so much, Maggie. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you. Wow. What an episode. Did you learn something new? I hope so. I am so happy you were able to be here with us today. I'd love to hear from you. Leave me a review and I will be sure to read it and respond to you. Also, if you'd like to email me, my email address is urock at iEvolveConsulting.com. Hit subscribe and every Tuesday you'll get notification when the next episode drops. We really have some amazing interviews and tips in the future. Anything you need, I'm here for you. I want you to keep your momentum. I want to help you stay accountable. I want you to stay inspired. I want you to evolve. So please let me know what you need and I'd love to hear from you. Take care until next time.